Welcome to the Wolf Brothers podcast. Today we have Kieran May from Natural Resilience up in Lisbon with us. Um, how are you doing, Kieran? I'm good. Daryl, good to see you, lads. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks very much for coming on. Um, been wanting to get you on the podcast for a long time, but I think now is probably the right time, having gotten to know you so much more in the past year, which actually, um, I suppose I came across your first on Instagram, but I read one of your posts and it massively resonated, massively resonated with me. And I seen you had a workshop coming up, um, up in Crawford's Barn. Um, it was a day, a day workshop and yeah, I messaged you, signed up. That was a year ago, the weekend. Wow. Um, yeah, that was a year ago, just this weekend gone. Um, so yeah, I met you exactly a year ago, which is pretty cool that we're doing the podcast now today. Um, and it's been an incredible year. And I can remember before we even met, you said, um, I feel that there's something to this connection, that something is going to come from it. And it's weird. Like I had that complete knowing myself, even though sometimes it's hard to, to know if that's just something in your mind or whatever it is, but, um, like all the stuff that's happened since then. We've, I've, I don't know how many times I've traveled up, up your direction to do different things. And, and it's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing. And, and even seeing all the people that I kind of do work with down here and, and all of them know you now as well. And it's, it's pretty cool the way everybody's getting so connected in this space. Um, and I suppose like that, the reason I reached out to you was because of a post you'd putting up that was describing about a release you had gotten in a in a ceremony and it massively resonated with me and i suppose that's due to yeah our backgrounds our stories and how we got to this point in our lives so i'd love for the listeners if if um you could tell us a little bit about what it is you do at natural resilience and your why behind getting into that work yeah, so natural resilience has evolved massively, um, I suppose, in the last three years since COVID, really. Natural resilience was, it was actually set up out of, out of pain. Um, a, young, a young fella that I used to work with at the time who called Robbie, Robbie Matier, he was 19 years old. And in August of that year, he took his own life. And it really, I actually wasn't that close with the kid. He was just one of those kids that his smile lit up a room. And at the time, I had I rented office space upstairs in a gym. And Robbie was training to be a personal trainer in that particular gym. And going to his funeral and seeing hundreds of kids outside crying. And, uh, and I remember coming away crying myself, just thinking there's something not right about parents burying their kids. It, it, it just really affected me. But tragically, um, one of his friends, or sorry, two of his friends did the same thing as him either side. Wow. And so I started to take a small group of them into the likes of the sea and controlling the breath in the sea. And we used to do barefoot running in the snow, like in the, in the winter mornings, maybe half five. And we used to do laps of a football pitch. And we used to meet at, in, in a, a local park in Lisburn here called Wallace Park. And we'll put our, our sliders or flip-flops off. And we says, right, guys, we're going to run 12, 12 laps of the pitch. I think that was maybe like a kilometre. And each time you were doing a lap, they were, of course, stepping over their flip-flops. And at the end of it, the whole point was like, 
guys just can't hit the exit button every time life gets tough. Like you could have stopped every length and put the flip-flops back on. You could have sat in the car with the heat on, but that's what life isn't about. We need to have a certain element of resilience. And so that's how Natural Resilience was born. It was about getting young kids from West Belfast into nature and trying to, trying to give them or at least sharpen their character and instill a bit of resilience in with them. And, and since then, it's, it's evolved massively. Um, it's now a, a wellness center that has classes for men, women, teenagers, offering holistic treatments for, I suppose, body, mind, and soul. Um, and then with my one-to-one work, it's usually around like mindset, self-development, and trying to, trying to get people to discover the potential that lies within them. And, and, and it's hard at times, you know, it's, I've no real business experience. It's a relatively new venture, but I do have a big why. And I remember somebody saying to me before, when you know your why, all the highs become easier. And, and my why, I suppose, was, well, I, my childhood, I thought was normal at the time because, well, it's all you know. But then in reflection now, as a 37-year-old, it, it was far from normal. And I would probably go as far as saying that there was maybe very few, few people with a normal upbringing in Belfast in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, the, the, the troubles were still ongoing. There was, I mean, I grew up on, on a, a street called Uncomery Street. And Uncomery Street run off a road called Beachmount Avenue. Beachmount Avenue was named locally and, and, and all the signs up on the road says RPG Avenue because there was RPG stands for rocket, rocket propelled grenade because there was RPG attacks on British soldiers on that particular road. Um, and growing up, I mean, you've seen the army out doing foot patrols. There was, I, I remember seeing men getting stopped and searched while my dad was bringing me to school as a, you know, six-year-old. I remember seeing the IRA doing checkpoints. It was that was all very normal to me. And then the day I realized it wasn't normal at all, I was probably about 10 or 11, and we used to go south. We used to go to like of Donegal or Mayo for family holidays. And to leave the north to get into the south, you had to you had to go through checkpoints. And you know, it was like an army checkpoint. And I mean, I, I always remember it. There was my, my dad had a, a a Volkswagen Polo that was red, but the red had turned to pink. You know, it was that old. And we were all crammed in the car. My mom, my dad, four kids all packed in the car. And we used to go through the checkpoint and the soldiers would have got you out and searched you in the car just to go on holiday. And I remember going on holiday. And as a kid, all I was interested, the troubles were kind of went over my head. All I was interested in was playing football. And I remember going to Donegal and, and meeting local kids and playing football with them in the parks and on the beach. And what I was experienced growing up in Belfast was just completely alien to them. They had absolutely no idea that a hundred miles up the road, all this existed, you know, all this division and hatred and fear. I mean, I, I, never, I remember as a very young kid, about seven, there was a, we used to call them entries, but it was, it was an alleyway that run from my house to the, to the local shop. And I used to get like 20p off, off my mum and dad to get, do you remember the chewing gums, but you had a tattoo, like a fake tattoo on them. And I used to love getting them. Now I'm covered in tattoos, but even as a kid, I loved having them. Um, 
but if the army were in the alleyway or by the shop, you weren't allowed to go because there was there was generally going to be trouble or, or rioting. And I remember saying to this kid, oh, well, yeah, I'm allowed to go to the shop in the street, but only if this, the army aren't there. And he just couldn't believe that there was like an army on the streets and all this thing happening. And so thankfully, thankfully, I wasn't, you know, m- massively personally impacted by the troubles. But what I think we're starting to kind of look into now up here, there's a massive amount of generational trauma. Um, you know, my father, for example, wasn't emotionally present. Um, you know, there was a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of hatred present between a, a lot of people. And, and my generation probably were a victim of all that. So I grew up um, not really knowing who I was or, or what my purpose was on earth. Never mind I run a business. Um, I didn't really have any male role models. I didn't really have any guides that telling me what a man should be or how to go about life or you know, how to shave or how to get a job, all that. Um, and I, f- I felt those late teenage years coming in the early 20s that I was going through this journey of life without a map. I genuinely felt lost, like just completely, like a lost boy. You know, a lost boy. And that particular post that you're talking about, it was it was while I was doing my Campbell training. And I remember being I remember crying my eyes out because I was I was screaming into the bucket, get out of me. I, I just knew I had all this anger, all this frustration in me that I wanted to go. And I remember like being so focused and I was just crying and pleading, like, get this, get this anger out of me. And the, the teacher at the time, he was doing a lot of energy work and shamanic work around me. And he had said that as much as I wanted to release all this anger, the ego part of me was holding on for dear life. Because underneath the anger was this sad, lost little boy that didn't want to display his vulnerability to the world. So as much as I was crying into the bucket saying, get this out of me, you know, allow me to release this anger. The little boy was saying, no, the anger's always, the anger for me was always a defense mechanism. You know, don't you come too close. I was always keeping people at arm's length. Don't hurt me. Uh, and on behind all that was just this sad, lost little boy that was confused about life. And at times I felt suicidal and at times I was close to it. And then I realized that, you know, through resilience, through support, through meeting like-minded people and getting into nature and all those things, that resilience could be developed and life could be lived. And the longer you lived, the longer you had and the bigger opportunity you had to explore like the self and, and the true essence of your heart and all these things. And so I got to a stage, I su- when was it? I suppose coming up to about 30, at the time, uh, I was I was always big into sports. Um, at the time, I was on the Northern Ireland powerlifting team. I went to the Commonwealth in Newfoundland in Canada. And in and around that stage, I had a bit of a nervous breakdown. Um, and I went, I actually went to to end it all. I went to hit the exit button myself, despite despite knowing what to do, you know, and, and I tried everything. And by the grace of God, I, didn't, I actually went to send a cardly message to my wife to say, listen, there's nothing you could have done. There's nothing the kids could have done to change this, but this is all in my head. I, I felt as if there was a fire in my body that was raging, and I felt as if I was trapped in a bedroom 
with a locked door and the only way to get out of the pain was to jump out the top story window. And it was in that moment I kind of reevaluated my whole life and you know, it's like, okay, my purpose is to help people that have been in the trenches, to show them that, you know, to, to live in alignment with their soul or spirit, to find themselves and to be of service to others in the community. And since that moment then, I've, I've just really, I suppose, thrown myself into natural resilience and happy fest. And whilst continuing to explore who I am and unlearn all the patterns and programs. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a great journey. And I'm, I'm thankfully in the place now, Daryl, where I look back at all the misunderstanding and all the, you know, the pain and the tears with a, an enormous amount of gratitude. Because without it, 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 you know, with all that experience, it shaped me into the man I am today. And it took me a long, long time. Like this, this journey I'm on, I would, I would say probably only, well, it's your whole life. But in terms of finding that balance within myself and to be able to, you know, start to love myself and show that self-compassion, it's probably only the last three or four years. And it's probably only the last three or four years that I've been able to look back at different things, like so the relationship with my dad, my upbringing, all that, with, with gratitude as opposed to anger or, you know, the blame game or, you know, feeling like a victim. Mm. That's, um, thank you for sharing that, Kieran. Um, what you said there about looking back at all those experiences and the pain and, and everything, and being grateful because that's what shaped you. Um, I massively feel that myself these days. And somebody said something to me this morning. It's funny that you mentioned that. I was gifted a, a rock. <clears throat> and this rock, it's split in half and there's a fossil on the inside. So you can see half the fossil and they reckon it's 150 million years old. And it was, I suppose, every micro grain of sand of matter of everything that has formed this rock over those 150 million years and then she related it to us as humans every micro thing that we experience every split second of every day is forming who we are as a human and that's constantly changing but it's, it's every single moment of our lives is is constantly forming who we are and it's ever changing it's it's um it's every single experience we have even the ones that we feel are so irrelevant all the moments that seem so small every mm. single one of those is constantly shaping us um i thought it was a beautiful analogy to to take from the rock and it's kind of it came up it just what's popped into my mind when you were saying the gratitude for all that um all those experiences um yeah it's we do learn i find anyway when we can look from a from maybe a diff different perspective um at those tougher times and take the lessons that we can take from them and and use it as as power to move forward it's yeah. um it's a beautiful thing when you can get to a point to do that um what would you recommend to anybody that was maybe in some of those tougher times at the moment or is struggling to maybe accept um, things they've done, things that have been done to them. Um, where would you recommend yourself for someone to start on that kind of 
journey of acceptance, acknowledgement? I think I think it's multifaceted. I mean, it's always great to talk to someone, and of course, mm-hmm. speaking to a professional is amazing. For me, for me, I needed to create that space within myself to even go and do that. You know, I, I felt as if I had this analytical mind that just constantly overthought and and analyze things. And I genuinely felt as if, if I, you know, I could have went to a therapist and he would have suggested something and it didn't sink in. I, I felt as if I had no room. So for me, my first step was just getting into nature. And just, I felt as if each time I went into nature, it was like getting your back cracked, you know, just that, oh, that decompression of the mind. And, you know, into the sea swimming, just every day I went to the sea or the mountains or the forest, I created a wee bit of space a wee bit of space, and when, that's all I needed at the start, just that bit of hope, just that bit of space to observe my thoughts without judging them. Um, that, that would be my first, you know, my advice to somebody is just disconnect initially, just disconnect away from all the, the pressure and, and the pressure we put on ourselves and, and the rat race and the home life and the work life. Just disconnect from it for a short while and just get into nature by yourself, just just go a walk with no expectations and then come back and maybe start journaling, you know, and, and, and seeing. I think when, every time you go into nature, you get a bit of clarity. Mm. And if you go into nature and then come back and maybe journal about it, I truly believe, and it's easier said than done, but I truly believe that we have and we hold all the answers we're looking for. Mm. And for me, anytime I feel a wee bit confused or a bit lost still in this day and age, I just take myself into nature. And I will just walk or I'll camp. And after a while, after all the thoughts start to pour out, like the usual thoughts, you know, then I get to the the crux of it and, you know, can write it down or whatever it may be. But I think nature, you'd said something about about lessons. And I think think the past is um, probably the greatest school in the universe and pain can be the greatest teacher. But in order to... I, I think I think just getting into nature and observing nature, you will, after after a short time, see that what we perceive to be this chaotic world is actually perfect. You know, there's perfect harmony, perfect order. And I remember one day sitting in nature and, and this coming to me about how I, I thought the world was chaotic. You know, I thought there was chaos within me. I thought there was chaos outside of me. And I remember watching nature and it was like, the rhythm of time is there, you know, the leaves falling from the tree and then decomposing, the new shoots coming out and just that beautiful cycle of life unfolding in front of me and all these natural laws. And I think if you allow yourself that time and space to get into nature, you will be less overwhelmed by life and more in flow with it, which is where we all want to be. Mm. Yeah, it's... Um, I was so talking about this the other night. It's the one place, I suppose, that I can really find peace myself, personally, is in nature. And what I do notice when I go there, um, because I've been trying to, to feel into it a lot more lately, recently, of what is actually happening when I go there in my body. So really noticing um, how I'm feeling, the subtle, subtle um, feelings. And what I've come to realize for myself so when I go sit in the forest, light a fire, whatever I'm doing, 
I can it nearly feels like a tube of I don't know um tomato paste or something being squeezed and it's it's all of the um I don't know the the signals the the energy of being in a town or a city and it's kind of like it's being squeezed out when I get there first and that can even bring up subtle anxiety subtle um maybe wanting to get on my phone or or it's that whole being so connected to people as well with the phone turning that off and and noticing the the little subtle urges to turn that back on and and it's it can take sometimes a little while for that to to be squeezed out that's what it kind of feels like and i feel it's the vibration that natural natural vibration of the trees and the wind and the the water and, and i know they're close when you're in cities and that but when you're completely immersed in them it's totally different i feel and i feel like them vibrations are are squeezing these um more unnatural energies out of out of my body until yeah. and, and then when i can sit with that and allow that process to happen that's when um that's when i can start being able to think clearly being able to see things from a totally different perspective um yeah. and it can take time to allow that to happen um, for me, it's not just so instant when I go in, um, but I, it's amazing when I've just brought my attention to what's happening and it just feels like it's literally yeah, squeezing, squeezing that stuff out to to leave me in this place of being able to to listen to myself, yeah. being able to see, being able to think clearly. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And. And I know we live in a society now where we are surrounded by a lot of unnaturalness and unnatural energies and unnatural vibrations um, from different things. And obviously, it would be, we're not going to just transition to living in a forest, but just carving that little bit of time out and and not going in searching for anything. That's what I found is like not going in. I used to go in to try and let go of this particular thing and, you're just so focused on that that you're in this kind of masculine energy of like get out of me kind of and it's <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just for me now it's like maybe that's not even what I need to let go of maybe I just and yeah. it's going in without searching without mm-hmm. wanting anything just to to be in there um yeah it's beautiful it's the same as the breath work really just you know letting go of that expectation just surrendering to nature the way you surrendered it to the breath in your classes. Yeah. But I think I think if you're in nature long enough, what you will certainly what what you start to realize is that you're part of nature itself. You know, and it does take time. It does take time and you do get those anxieties. And I do take my phone with me when I'm hiking, but I keep it on airplane mode. Mm. And it's more of an emergency thing, you know, in case I go over on my ankle or or to take a nice picture or something. But I, I try not to even be distracted through the phone and, and really just allow myself to be in nature. I was speaking to Cormac before you come on. There's, um, it's actually you and him play a big part in this. I went down to help Cormac when you were in the jungle at a, a men's breathwork circle in Loch Crew, and I met Santiago. <laughs> and prior to that, I'd been sick in bed, and I was reading about The Alchemist. And the main character is called Santiago, and it's all about finding the treasure within and I'd read this book probably five or six times during my life, but I was in bed, sick, feeling under the weather. And I remember thinking, oh, God, please just allow me to feel and, and, and recognize my treasure within again. 
McCormack texted about three minutes later and says, what about Lock Crew? So I went down, walked up to Lock Crew and felt this unbelievable energy, mm. um, like something that, that I, don't, I, I don't know how to really explain using, using words, but I felt something. And as I was walking up to the, the current, I felt like a warrior, like this warrior, you know, back, my back was straight and my chest was out and I was walking up the hill and, and the words kept kind of in my mind were, you're home, you know, welcome home. And so as I got back down to Lock Crew after Cormac had text to say, I'm running 45 minutes late. So I thought, right, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll hang about outside. I don't usually um, do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually quite shocked to hear that. Yeah. I, I think you forgot the cacao or something, but Santiago came out. And he's like, oh, sure, I'll, I'll open the door and let you in. And I was telling him I went for a walk up. And he says, oh, my name's Santiago. And I bust out laughing. I was like, fucking who in Ireland is called Santiago after me reading The Alchemist? And he was like, yeah, it's a very special place. And without me even saying anything to him, he was telling me about it's a Kielak, the energy. Yeah. And he, he said about her welcoming her boys home in the Ulster mm. Warrior. And I was like, I think I was meant to speak to you. And he says, well, I think I'm meant to speak to you too. You should check Sleeve Gullion on the winter solstice. So Sleeve Gullion is a mountaintop in South Armagh. And at the top of the mountain, there's a cairn that predates the, the pyramids. But from, from the cairn, you can see Loch Crew. And it's meant to be the home of the Kailach. And, and there's this, like, go, it's the start of what they call the Gorias line in Ireland, like a ley line mm-hmm. that runs through from Sleeve Gullion through Loch Crew and other areas. Wow. And I went for the first time on the winter solstice just past and had one of the most spiritual experiences of my life, you know, just through meditation, just through sitting in that current by myself with no watch, no phone, no expectation, no like limits of, oh, I'm only sitting here for X amount of time. Like time didn't really exist. I just sat. And I've been going since maybe once a week, just back up to this place. And there is something special that, that I don't have the answer for, but there's something special for the land in Ireland in particular. And I felt it again in Port Marnock Beach. I was speaking to Lorraine last week. I met her and Patty for a dip in Port Marnock. But there's particular areas around Ireland. In fact, you know, probably hundreds of them, if not thousands. Um. I think we as as people are meant to be in the land and connect with the land. And when you, I suppose when you look at the likes of the recent industrial revolutions and in the major towns and cities, there's been this huge disconnection from that. And I think this is why, you know, COVID was personally a great thing for me because the hamster wheel stopped and I started getting back into nature again every day. The forest, the mountains, the sea, the rivers. And while half the world was losing the plot, I felt so centered, so grounded, so at peace. And that for me, that real that prolonged period in nature really showed me the like unquestionable, unquestionable benefits and healing aspects of, of simply just being in nature. Yeah, I, I spent them, um, it was a year and a half ago, I'd say, but Went into the forest for three days, three nights by myself. Um, and that was the message I got at the end was just connect to nature, connect to yourself, connect to others, and in that order. Mm. 
Um, I feel if you do try to give a bit that bit of time to connect in with the natural world, you're automatically going to begin to connect to yourself. Yeah. Automatically, I find. Um, I know you. And, and sorry, go on, Colin. Jump in. Um, <laughs> I think uh, yeah, what you're saying there as well came to me. I remember listening to John Moriarty speaking about, mm. you know, a lot of the time we put like our partner or maybe our relationship, like we put them almost as like the person we worship, um, which is obviously a lot of pressure for one person to hold. So, and then these days we don't really have like, a lot of us don't really have that religion um, that religious belief maybe that we should have or not should have, but that we used to have. Um, so there's something missing and we're just caught in our heads. And um, I suppose the land, I think for me anyway, kind of substitutes um, that thing to worship, like almost, you know, mm -hmm. as Santiago said, surrender to the land. And I suppose I did yeah, stint up in Lock Crew as well for um, a couple of days and nights. And for me, it was like almost surrendering to the, to serve the Kayak or to serve the land. And I think that's a much healthier way to, I suppose, go about your life instead of just looking to serve yourself or mm. you know, instead of just putting all this pressure on your partner to give you meaning and all that. I suppose it's a mm. deeper sense that um, there's something beyond just yourself and your own ego to that you're here for. Um, because I think that's a lot of the time what gets us stuck. And I think that's why a lot of people are, you know, have so much, there's so much depression, anxiety, or lack of clarity about what people want from the future. Cause we're all just, there's too many options. We're all just stuck in um, the mindset of like me, what do I want? And sometimes it's good to just ask, what does the land need? And then how can I serve? Um, mm -hmm. That's for me tends to help with that kind of guidance and like that sense of like, I suppose, yeah, surrender is a, is a word that nearly it's like, ah, oh, I don't have to, you know, do everything. I can just be a servant to the land. I don't have to, you know, figure it all out. I'll just listen to the land and follow the path. So uh, for me, that's, yeah, it's such a, an important thing in my life as well. And it's, it's a hard thing for, for me anyway, Cormac, because when you're when you go into nature for like a prolonged amount of time you do feel that inner peace um and then sometimes like if i spend a day for example in the morn mountains or there's a forest beside me i start to realize that you know that and i actually start to feel insignificant in a beautiful way mm. in terms of the likes of that cairn at, at the top of the mountain like how many of my ancestors have sat there over the thousands of years you know and, and i feel this beautiful liberating insignificance in terms of like what I'm finding stressful is is completely mm. insignificant in the grand scheme of of our history and, and all those things and and I know that and I feel that and then and then I drive home and it's like kids have to be put to bed and homeworks and, and my wife wants a conversation and bills need paid and emails need sent and and then you're back to this kind of human experience in in the 3D and in the physical body. Uh, but this is why I think there's no escape in that. I think there's no escape in the fact that the human experience will most likely always be held and bondage by by that you know the the the, the system that we have created 
And this is why I think it's with even more importance that we do need to get into nature. And as men, we need to bring our sons and our nephews into nature and women need to do the same with their daughters. And because it's a sense of freedom, it, it does free you from the systems and the thoughts and, and, and the pressure I put myself under at times internally feels backbreaking, you know, that even even when it's even when it's with good intention, you know, even when it's trying to be of service, mm. sometimes I put this responsibility on my shoulders that feels crippling at times, you know, really like crippling and then I question things. And the answer is always nature. Nature nature always takes up pain away from me. And it's like, okay, no. it's almost soothing the sense. Mm. Um and it's, it's, it's probably the paradox that I've, I've always kind of observed the paradox of life, you know, the, the, the good, the bad, the, the dark, the light, the spiritual world and the physical world. And it's, I would be a, quite a passionate person, just jump two feet into everything, you know. Um, and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with that kind of behavior, you know, in that I... I remember somebody saying, if life, if life is like a day in a theme park, go on all the rides and have all the experiences. You know, good and bad. There's no such thing as good or bad, just it's lessons and blessings. Um, but then at times, at times, it's like, oh my God, you know, I really need to slow down and just go into nature and switch off and listen to the soul as opposed to the thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, oh, go on, Tom. I was going to say, I resonate with that, um, kind of finding that balance and then almost, yeah, putting too much pressure on yourself to, um, yeah, to like give back or do and just finding that, that balance in like sitting with yourself as well. Um, and there's no like perfect balance either. It's like surfing, like you have to keep changing your foot positions. Mm. You can't just stand there and expect to have balance. So it's, it's mm. one that I'm constantly working with those, I suppose, um, polarities. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think something, yeah, I remember when I first met you, um, I even remember saying to Daryl, I was like, geez, I really like that Kieran fella. And then I um, remember that actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, He's not I a only, bad guy. I only met you. <laughs> And I think it was the second time we met and I was only after reading the Caballion, which funnily enough, Santiago told me to read. Um, he wow. This conversation. He was like, I think you should read this book. And then I heard you mention you'd read it like seven or eight times, I think. Um, and it just seems to be a thing that has just, once I read it, I don't know how many people I talked to that were talking about it or was on a podcast that I was listening mm. to. It just seemed to pop up everywhere and i think santi even said that was going to happen um yeah. but i find i think it's just that way of looking at the world which has really helped me and obviously you uh, even us in the way you were talking there about um seeing those polarities and you know what comes up must come down and as above so below etc um and i feel like in the world we live in today people get so fixed on one polarity or the other um and we find it very hard to see like that gray area um and i I think i annoy megan my girlfriend a lot when i keep saying well have you looked at this side of it as well sometimes (laughs) we confirmed 
But uh, yeah. I, maybe I know a lot of people with that because I'm always trying to look at the other perspective. Um, so I feel, I feel that's something for me that's helped a lot. And um, I suppose, can you maybe talk a bit to what you've found, how the Kabbalion or those kind of teachings have helped you navigate your own life? Yeah, but I I first heard of the Kabbalion in 2020, so just a couple of years ago. Um, I was actually at my first ever medicine retreat. I've heard of these. Um, I, I start I started to see things during my my experience, and the facilitator that was doing the integration the next morning he says, "Oh, that's have you heard of the Hermetic principles?" And I said, "No, I haven't." And he says, oh, I recommend so that part of my integration was to read the Kabbalion. And I'll be honest, the reason I've read it so many times is because I didn't understand it. You know, I, I knew it made sense. But I mean, that book, sometimes there's sometimes one sentence is so much information contained in it that you almost have to stop and think, yeah, fucking hell. But it's it's I think. At some point in their life, everyone should at least visit the book uh, with an open mind. For me, the number one thing I took from it is about knowing my own internal seasons. Uh, as I said, I've always, I've always kind of, and I'm still, still something I'm working through, and probably, probably to try and gain the likes of my father's approval. I've, I've always push myself hard you know to be seen as a as a hard worker the same in sports you know always pushing myself pushing myself and when people were having sick days I was kind of proud of the fact that I never missed a session I was always going 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 and I think that's part of the reason why I did struggle with the likes of depression and anxiety so much is because I bought into this mindset that you know you have to be relentless and you have to be on top of your game every single day and the Kabbalion taught me that, you know, for example, the law of rhythm and that we each have our own internal seasons. And then when I kind of reflected on it, I, I was like, yeah, well, each time I've, I've struggled, you know, each time I've went into these, these episodes of feeling down, it's almost like a winter. You know, that's some, symbol, uh, some symbolism of, of death. And I felt as if I have been dying and I've been purging and the skin's been, been breaking out. And I used to see that as failure. You know, I used to see that as failure. And what the Kabbalion kind of showed me was that it's not failure. It's, it's actually to be celebrated because after the death comes that rebirth. Mm. And it's about seeing that, you know, slowing down during the, those internal seasons of winter and um, looking forward to the spring and enjoying the abundance of summer and, and all those things. And, and for me, I think if you start to comprehend the, the, the natural laws outlined in the Kabbalion and start to try and live in a harmony with those, you know, rest when you need to rest and perform when you can perform and, and see that there's an opposite to every, everything that you're seeing is just a perception that there, there has to be an equal opposite. And, you know, even the likes of the law of cause and effect that a reaction has a reaction. I think once you start to comprehend those and, and live in harmony with them, you, for me, it was almost as if I had been, thought I'd been playing the game of life, but really I was just a pawn and I was being moved about by the media and society's expectations and family obligations. And I actually wasn't playing. I was a slave to the game. And and you're given all these kind of fake rules. You know, this is what a man should be and, and, and you should get married at this age and 
you need this is what it means to be successful in the game of life whereas the Kabbalion is almost like rubbishes all those rules and it's like no 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 there's these principles that the whole game of life is measured by and I think I think once for me realizing that it was like oh my god you know how did I not know this? When you read it the first time, it all makes it makes sense. You're like, well, yeah, I can see how that works. But it's 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 a great philosophy. It certainly is. Mm. Mm. Definitely. And um, I know you're an avid reader as well. And I just had a coaching call this morning with um, I was being coached by someone, and he, I suppose, my issue that I presented was that there's so many books out there for me to read and that I want to read um, and so much information I want to learn and it's sometime in the past maybe it's came from a place of like lack as in like oh I'm not you know I don't know enough or I need to know more I need to know more than the next guy or um, which might be still there slightly but I feel it's more coming from um, just curiosity like I'm getting drawn to different things um, and he actually asked me a really in, interesting question. He was like, what if there was no more books in the world or you couldn't do any courses or anything like that and you couldn't, you know, work on understanding yourself more, what would you do? Um, mm-hmm. Which I thought was a really interesting question. Um, and I was just like, I'd enjoy my life more and I'd just have the crack and meet, go with, or, you know, meet friends and spend more time with my loved ones and stuff like that. Um and now, obviously, I think learning through, through books and through introspection has really given me a lot of fulfillment and, and growth as well. Um, but I think it's just trying to balance those two things um, as well in terms of like there is so much information out there for people um, and so many books and mm-hmm. hard to know what to recommend for people. It depends on their journey. Um, but I suppose maybe for you, what's been like... Um, how have you got that balance maybe between, you know, actually learning these principles, like the hermetic principles or anything else that you've read or learned and actually like bringing that into your life or taking the time to do the introspection to actually like absorb, you know, what's going on and look at your own patterns and how, how do you find that, I suppose, balance? Yeah, well, I think I didn't have the balance. I didn't have the balance. Again, I had that obsessiveness. Mm. I left school at 16 and <clears throat> went to work in built sites. And all my all my like recent learning has all been done in, in like recent years. And there was that obsessiveness at the start. You know, I remember I remember reading the quote that a man should always have a his library should be bigger than his television so I was like right okay I'm going to get all these books and I'm going to read them and you know I was driving my car with an audible in and when I was going to the forest I had a book and and then I, re- I remember you know seeing another quote where there's it was knowledge isn't power knowledge is only potential power and the difference between knowledge and truth is experience and so what I started doing then is studying books as opposed to reading a book and throwing it to the side, and maybe would have read it half a dozen times and put myself, if it took me a year, it took me a year. But the, the important part for me was, can I start to experience the teachings of this book? Like, can I start to embody this book? Mm. And I would go as far as saying, and it's probably controversial, but my 
my knowledge and learnings, I would say, has probably been through nature and introspection and ceremonies and conversations with, with other guys like yourselves, as opposed to what I've read in the books. Now, they bo both go hand in hand in terms of I had to read the Kabbalion to, you know, know that these laws existed. But then I had to sit in nature and go through all the introspective processes to realize how my life existed when I wasn't living in harmony with those laws and likewise how I felt when I was living in harmony. And that, that took time, you know, of, and reading that book, you know, six or seven times probably took, took me two, two and a half years. And I would never say I understand it. I'll, I'll continue to read it, not for reading's sake, but to, to embody it. Um, and I'm getting much, much better at not putting myself under pressure. You know, books are amazing. I, I, I read to my kids. I, I still do love a good book over Love Island or, you know, any of that. Um, but I think it's, a, it's, probably, it's probably, you know, we'll talk about masculinity, that, that drive of, you know, self-actualization and self-fulfillment and self-determination. It's like, we want to be the scholar, we want to be the athlete, or we want to be the victor. So we'll do anything in, the, in our way and anything that's possible to achieve that. And it's all well and good. And uh, I, I don't agree necessarily with, with the media's angle on toxic masculinity. But what I do see with working with a lot of athletes is that excessive masculinity of always having to, you know, read the uh, 10,000 books and lift the big heavy bench press and having to run and bust a gut. And I think, I think, I don't like using the terms of softening up in that, but I think integrating the more feminine qualities into myself as a man this last, particularly this last year, you know, the likes of creativity and expressiveness, imagination and intuition and all those things. It's for the first time in my adult life, I'm starting to feel a bit more balanced and a bit more rounded, a bit more grounded as well. And I'm starting to live my life without that self-pressure that I was always putting on myself, you know, in terms of comparing and I have to achieve this and I have to read this and I have to do this course. And, and since I've done that, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's probably the thing, less pressure and more, more roundedness. But I actually think it makes you a stronger man when you can, I mean, the, the, the feminine traits are incredible that, you know, expressiveness and creativity. I mean, if you're, if you're strong and you're accepting of your masculine traits and you embody them to then take on these superpowers that women have of, you know, great communication skills and uh, intuition. I mean, they're all, it's something we should all be looking to explore. And, and, and as men, I think in this country in particular, I mean, I know even if I was to say five or six years ago about I'm trying to explore the feminine aspects of myself, I would I, I couldn't have physically said that, you know, because that's how I was brought up. You know, boys don't cry, men need to be men, and there's nothing feminine about men, you know. That's that was the condition I was brought up in. But to reverse that and see the benefits of exploring that feminine energy and, and the likes of inner child work and that, it, it really has made me more rounded and grounded. And so the, the pressure to read all these books is starting to slowly dissipate. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought up that kind of, I suppose that balance between the, the masculine feminine and how I think toxic masculinity is a, I don't like the phrase either because I think it, it just as if masculinity is wrong in itself. I think there's, mm. there's men who are 
not nice men. Um, but I don't think it's anything wrong with masculinity in general. I think yeah. we just maybe lack an understanding of it in today's society. Um, and I've actually been recently, I know obviously you do a lot of men's work and it's something I've only recently kind of started coming into myself. Um, I feel very drawn towards the men's work um, and I'm sure I'll do plenty more in the future. But um, just listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about how, I suppose, men and women, like their men, how they tend to deal with problems is a lot different. Um, and I see, I think a lot of the time we're using maybe, now obviously there's, um, you know, some women are more masculine and some men are more feminine. I'm speaking in, in general here. Um, but men want to feel, instead of, I suppose, women would want to feel maybe that they're um, loved and accepted. Um, whereas men tend to want to feel powerful and capable, which I found really interesting. Um, yeah. And I think as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, that's fucking so true. Like that's yeah. I really want to feel a lot of the time. As now, my feminine side obviously wants to feel love and acceptance, but that masculine side of me really wants to feel powerful and capable. And it's not a powerful like you know hierarchy thing where I'm in charge of loads of people. It's powerful within myself and personal power. I think power has a really got a bad rap. That word <coughs> um, very important. That personal power. Um, if you look at shamanism, that's one of the main things is restoring power to someone mm -hmm. um, to feel fully alive in your body and vitality. And and I think we need a different approach when it comes to looking at men's mental health or just general connection with themselves. Um, another thing that they discovered in a lot of the studies was that men, yes, the talking aspect of like, you know, go to someone and talk about your feelings, that's important. Um, and it maybe taps into that feminine side, but for men, what they really want is just to solve the problem. Um, mm -hmm. And again, as soon as I heard that, I was like, "That's so true." All I, I do like if there's I'm coming across a problem, I'm like, "Yes, it's good to feel it and talk about it, but really, I want to to solve it." Um, so it's good to do both, but it's it's for the that masculine side. It's like, how do we actually go about solving this problem? So. It's like yeah. if I'm not, you know, if I'm feeling kind of down, I might say, oh, geez, I'm feeling really shit today and acknowledge it and express it. But then I'm like, right, why am I feeling down? How do I solve this so I don't feel down tomorrow? Maybe I didn't exercise today. That's why I'm not feeling good. And then it's a much more uh, proactive approach. So I think there's definitely um, needs to be maybe looked at more in terms of like not just treating um mental health the same for both and it's like just looking at the slight differences and subtle differences um so i suppose that was just something that i've discovered recently i found really interesting um and just in terms of your own work with men um i don't know i've been at one of your events and did some of the bright work at but what have you found um men are really missing at the moment and what do you think it is that and how do you think they can get that back mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah, I, I actually don't really know how I started to get into men's work. It was all just, it kind of happened without me thinking about it. Um, I, I remember, the only time I can kind of have a vivid remember memory was, I remember consciously thinking about 
nature had such a profound impact on me that I used to do free events, you know, let's meet up at more mountains and do a walk and and guys were coming and I remember thinking that this this is needed, you know, this is needed. Um my the men's work has developed, that's that's how it initially started. It was about getting getting men into nature and you know away from the phones and just realizing that they're all on the same boat and starting to drop the shield a bit, you know, start to take the armor off ever so slightly, you know, and and I used to kind of try and be sneaky about it in a way like okay guys let's let's cook over the fire let's tap into that primal masculinity but while we're cooking over the fire let's talk about how you felt this week you know have you been stressed have you been angry have you been overwhelmed underwhelmed um and it kind of went like that for a long time until last year a girl had said to me about bringing the men's groups to a yin yoga class and it was all about like somatic work and 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 self-soothing and self-touch and and that gentler side of of masculinity you know the the subtle movement and the girl danielle darcy she's phenomenal mm. and she made a couple of great points in terms of you know it was all men in that class and we were all trying to outdo and outperform each other in the poses you know like <laughs> and, and i had it as well it was in hot yoga so it was like am i fuck giving up before do you know i have to be seen as <laughs> as stoic you know I, I can't just give up in front of these guys so I have to hold this pose even though I was in agony um, and all the other guys were obviously thinking the same thing you know and she tapped into it and she, she was like you know and if you are if you are embracing your masculine energy of oh I have to outperform everyone else, and we all bust out laughing because we all the guys were, were thinking the same thing and she was like you know stop that stop it like explore the gentle side Mm. And I, th- I don't think it's men's fault. This is the thing. There's a couple, a couple, of, I'll not name them. I actually really respect these women, but they were like, oh, where's all the good men? You know, where's all the conscious men? I, I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot. I think, I think the, where we are with men in Ireland is we are in an amazing place. We're in a very exciting time. I mean, us three wouldn't be having this conversation only a few years back. And there's loads more like us, and we're starting to find each other, and there's exciting mm-hmm. things happening. I think, I think where we are probably, well, we're maybe at the stages of just exploring it. I, I think the area we haven't stepped into yet is when you look at like different female facilitators along Ireland and, and, and different areas, they come together and they, they collaborate and they unite and they support each other. And it's, it's what goes back to what you said, Cormac, in terms of. The, the there's almost an archetype of of the man that's holding space and facilitating for other men, which is like the lone wolf. You know, I'll, I'll take on, I'll, I'll provide for all these guys, and I'll be almost like a bit of martyrdom. And I think I think we as male facilitators probably need to come together a lot more to have that support and to share our frustrations and our findings and and also you know ideas. So that would be my first point for us in terms of working with the guys that are coming to our, to our classes. There's, there's, there's one thing that I've seen recently is that a lot of men are hanging on to this, this beautiful, beautiful anger and rage. Like anger and rage can be a real starting point for significant transformation and change. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very masculine, you know, fire-based emotion. 
But we as men, because society has taught us like not to display anger, you know, anger's wrong. And we feel as if we can't control it. We all almost start to, we almost start to have a fear about our anger. And we just keep repressing and repressing and repressing that emotion and that energy, leading to depression, leading to confusion. And, and that's something that I'm trying to contend with to, to show guys that when anger and rage are utilized and expressed in a very, very healthy way, you know, it can, it can be a very positive thing. Of course, of course, it's never, never right to do it in the home, but there's, there's opportunities to like sort of nature. And, you know, one of the things we were doing was, you know, well, first identifying what their triggers were and, and why and what the wounds were. But even the likes of used to take the guys up into like an old, an old quarry in the, in the Moor Mountains, which was dug out by hand by men. And they lift big rocks up above their head and slam it into the ground, you know, just starting to build that rage up, that, that primal power and rage and express it as, a pro, as opposed to repressing it. I think, um, I think there's, there's a lot of conditioning around masculinity. You see it in like programs like The Simpsons and Family Guy and, and all these programs, like the male is usually this, this overweight, drunk, you know, buffoon. Um, and it's it's trying to it's trying to get men to accept that masculinity is good. It's very important, you know. They need to accept that and express it. And yeah, it's 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 interesting times. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I totally agree with what you said about um, us men coming together to share ideas to to help each other. Um, Otherwise, yeah, it, it it can like even in this kind of work, I can see, I can I can see that competition, um, that, um, and I see it because it was within myself at one point, um, something I've 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 let go of, um, or in the process of letting go of. And it's not a, it's not a, it's not a fully conscious thing whatsoever. It's um, very subtle and very in the background. Um, mm. And that's why I didn't see it for so long. Um, that's why I didn't see it. But once recognizing it and acknowledge it in myself, I can begin to let that go. But I can also see it then. I can also see yeah. it because we're all connected and, I, like I feel, yeah, massively um, as humans. And I think once you kind of recognize something within yourself, certain energy, it's, um, you begin to see it in other places, in other people. Um, mm. And I think it would be a beautiful thing. Like you said, um, women are great at supporting each other. Yeah. Um, they're great at supporting each other. And not that men aren't, not that men aren't, but I think, it's even in that support. Where is that coming from? Mm. Where is that? Yep. So it's mm. it's the really finding the authenticity in that, and um, and that comes with a massive letting go. That comes with mm. a massive letting go because uh, and a massive amount of vulnerability as well. Mm. You know, and we mm. we as men generally don't like being vulnerable. Mm. You know, but 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 for me. I'll give you an example. The last one of your breathwork classes that you did in Lisbon, the two of you were doing it. 
and that was the one remember I cried my eyes out yeah 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 as you were doing the I think you were at my feet and Cormac was at my head and he put my hand on his chest and I had never been touched by a, a man before you know I, I had never had a man touch my chest before like as as mental as that sounds like if I was when, even in sports if I was going to get a sports massage I would have went to the female one you know because it was like oh, I'm, not, I'm not letting a man touch me mm. and I think I think at a very deep level we we I mean any time I was physically, mentally, or emotionally caused pain throughout my life, it was generally at the hands of a, of a male figure. And so I think there's a, an element within ourselves that we see some men or potentially all male figures as a threat to some degree, mm-hmm. you know, some form of threat. But I remember Cormac touching me and my initial thing was, <gasps> you know, I, I, I can't, I can't cry. Well, he, and, and then I remember, I remember getting going beyond that and crying my eyes out and folding his hand. Actually, uh, you know, I didn't want him to leave then, but I felt very, very vulnerable. Now I had no news and I'd met you, respected and loved you both, but it's hard to do that as 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 another, you know, uh, mm. as a guy to other big burly men like yourselves. But but I think that's what we have to do. Like I think we as male facilitators need to meet with that like vulnerability, just pure vulnerability to say, you know, yes, I've got, I'm, I'm here and I'm willing to do this work and I'm willing to continue to work on myself. But I need to see you as a brother. You need to see me as a brother, um, as opposed to competitors and as opposed to, you know, th- threats or adversaries. We need to see each other as, as, as allies and, and, and brothers and comrades. And I think I think it's naturally happening. You know, I think it's naturally we are we are moving in the right direction. But it's it's up to I don't mean this in an egotistical or a cocky way, I'm only speaking from my own kind of experience. Apart from my granda on my mother's side, I never really had this mature, stable, grounded male in my life. You know, mm-hmm. all the males in my family were very masculine, you know, very get up and get on with it and so to to then explore other aspects of masculinity with other men it's it's an enormous thing you know it's it's going against the grain of, of everything you know, you know and, and what we know but I, I think this generation and I think it's really really exciting but I think we are we have been placed amongst this change for a reason be you know unknown to us at this present time there's something much bigger and greater going on around the island of ireland i don't think anyone can can argue with that i mean with so many meetups and festivals and ceremonies and classes and discussions and we are starting to change and evolve and grow which which is amazing but i i think i think this generation we are going to step into in, in decades potentially you know that elder role to support young angry men maybe coming up and saying okay listen i've been there you know i've i've suffered with the addiction and the anger and the hatred and and the turmoil and the violence here's the scars to prove it you know i have been where you are but but there's another way let me show you you know and and i'm ready for it you know but i i think at one point i personally was like oh i can do it all i'm young i'll take it all on you know I'm, I'll be of service, and and then as the months and the years go by, you end up exhausted, 
and you're like, no, no, no. And you laugh, oh, I can't do this all on my own. And this is why connections the, and the friendships that, you know, us three have developed and, and different practitioners and men around Ireland is, is vitally important. Do you know, that's, that's beautiful to hear that. And a couple of weeks ago, I was down in the forest. Um, I've been for the last year wondering who is going to be my mentor. I've been searching for a mentor and um, not that I've been searching. Sorry, it's the wrong word. I haven't been searching. I've been half hoping that somebody will appear to me um, because I think it's great to, to have a mentor and I like learning stuff from myself. That's why I don't even read so many books. I read the odd one and I always seem to read the right one at the right time. But I really like just, yeah, learning from my own experiences and I went down to the forest, the same place I've been going for since um, for the last few years. But there's this one particular spot that I've been going to since coming back from the jungle that you mentioned earlier. And it's under a horse chestnut tree. And it's literally like the palm of a hand. And I went down a few weeks ago into that spot and I was sitting there and I, and I really, really allowed myself to drop in, to be held by this what felt like the the roots of this horse chestnut tree. And and I realized there was all these things coming to me that I was seeing in the wind, in the way the sun broke through the clouds and touched off the tree. And I could see, I was like, I understand what sun-kissed means and how that light can brighten anything. And, and that can relate to so many things in life. And, and I was just sitting there and I was like, this is my mentor. Here's my mentor. Mm -hmm. and And I swear it was like, getting so when i was 11 years old i was obsessed with harry potter as a kid and i waited for a letter to hogwarts when i turned 11 right that's how much i was hoping that was real but this was like i just sat there and i said this out loud i was like i'm just have to get my letter to hogwarts wow that's how it felt and and i was sitting there being held by this palm that it felt the river Boyne is down there roaring because there's a little weir there and it's roaring up at me the fire's lit and i was sitting there being held and I got this massive feeling of so much of the anger that men and women, I felt this for men and women. Um, again, this is just what I was feeling, my own perspective. It's not, this is not fact whatsoever. This is just what I felt. So much of the defensiveness, all the walls we build up in our relationships, all of this is because we don't feel safe. And why we don't feel safe, maybe, is because maybe at one point in our lives, like some of the old tribes you see, we were constantly held as babies by men, by the men in the tribe, by the women, um, going back maybe before we were even homo sapiens, I don't know. And in today's world, that just doesn't happen. And it does happen to a certain degree. But I think like back before we lived in houses and we had all these things, it would have been a constant being held, constantly being held growing up in that feeling of safety. We don't get that feeling of safety from a cot, from a timber cot. We more than likely don't. Maybe to a certain extent, but it's not the same as the energy you get from a parent or someone else. And, and I got this urge, I was like, or got this feeling or sense of holding people that maybe if it was, if I was having a conversation with somebody and they were really struggling, I was like, Daryl, next time just ask, 
sit down, ask them to lie into your arms and just hold them and and have your intention to help them just let go into the he- being held. Because if I'm going to if I'm going to ask somebody, some man or some woman to, to sit into my arms, it's probably going to sound one, very strange, but two, <coughs> it'll probably take a while before the letting go will happen. And that could, for a lot of people, probably wouldn't even happen if you were to sit there for hours. But it's just to let go and to actually feel fully safe in that being held. Because did you ever try to get somebody to let go of the weight of their head in your hands? It's It can take mm. so long for that to happen because we don't feel safe. And that not feeling safe would obviously create so many um, defenses um, that just wouldn't serve us as people. And, and I said to myself, I am going to ask if the opportunity ever arises, I'm going to just jump out of my comfort zone and ask somebody to to allow me to hold them and maybe guide wow. the letting go into my arms and seeing where that where that leads because I feel it could bring up massive um suppression or, or something. And the next day I was back in that forest with a friend and he was going through something. And I was like, fuck, this is <laughs> this, time, this, this time is upon me instantly. And it was in the same place. In the same place. Wow. Uh, and I asked them, we were sitting by the fire, and then I just sat, moved around, and I said, lie back. And I just held them. Um I it was just I couldn't believe and I was I suppose I was kind of thinking, I was like, these opportunities are just constantly there for us to hold each other. Um, and and I really felt it's like all the talking through things, talking like Cormac and yourself said, it's it's such a fantastic thing and it has its place. But I think to even to just hold each other, because mm-hmm. I'll need to be held at some point and we all will. But I think in that holding, without words, just with intention, mm-hmm it can bring, it will bring to the surface things that want to be looked at, things that want to be felt, things that want to be seen. And if we are in a space being held by another human, that we can drop into that feeling of safety, which, like I said, could take many, many times, or it could happen straight away, depending on on the situation. But it's, 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 yeah, it's be, I just feel for me now, it's, I think we, so much of our, defenses that we have and and these things is just that we just don't feel safe and and as as maybe children we weren't held and it's such a that connection i think is just so important and for for men to be able to break down that barrier of allowing each other to hold it doesn't always have to be physical but just to to let go of ego and let go Mm. of these defenses in the presence of another man and I think with women as well, like there's so much everything. Like if you were to ask, if I was to ask a woman to lie down, and straight away sexual things will come in. Do you know? It's like yeah. it doesn't have to be. So there's even between men and women, there's all that, um, all that defenses because any interaction with a man and woman, people, I don't know. There's some sexual aspect to it just because of the suppression mm-hmm. of um, our sexuality, I suppose, and it leads to. But yeah, I I just more holding each other. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Allowing ourselves to be held, allowing ourselves yeah. to be held, and yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. And that was that was that was just from sitting under a tree. I got all those sensations and then feelings, and then for that to leak into the next day, being able to to actually do that for somebody. Um, and and I'm in this process now of allowing myself to be held. Wow. Um, and it's funny because. It's, it's, you can have it in your mind, but when I'm in these situations where I can allow myself to be held, I'm like letting go of the exhale, just letting go of the tension in my chest, letting go, like nearly tensing my muscles at times. And it's like, oh, letting them go, letting my, like allowing myself to sit on the floor, nearly not allowing myself to just even drop into that sometimes. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful process to, to, to start letting go, start letting go and just, Finding that balance of holding and being held. Um, and I think we can all do it for each other. But it's with the way our conditioning has brought us, we're just so disconnected from that. So yeah. disconnected from that touch. Like even sometimes somebody's touch can be, mm. um, it can come totally change your day. Like through a hug, through a yep. hand on the shoulder, a hand on the back. And they are simple, simple things. Um, and we're just, we've become so disconnected from it. So to start bringing that stuff back in um, through this kind of work, through men's work, through group work, through breath work, through sea swimming, through things like what you and yourself and Kira set up last year, Happy Fest, through them things, like all the connections people form from that. Um, and even on that, maybe um, you have Happy Fest, Number two, well, the, the day number two coming up. It's a two-day yeah. event this time. Two, two days this time, the 1st and 2nd of July. And one of the things, what actually wanted to, so the rain at Festival Mana is, is coming up on the Sunday. to have, because again, women are amazing at kind of rallying around each other and supporting each other and promoting each other. And then there's another kind of TP called the Wild Warriors. Again, it's it's all females. Mm. That's all about you know female empowerment. And I remember sitting thinking, going like, why, why are we, why are we as men not not doing this? So we actually ordered an, a, a separate marquee, and it's going to be exclusively uh, male facilitators for men of all ages. That this this is I think <clears throat> I think there's still a bit of a block within males around opening up in front of females. You know, I, I still, and, and this is the, the type of guys that I get that come to my men's classes are generally your, the athletes or the construction guys or, you know, the big, big, strong men, but they have been conditioned to believe that opening up in front of a female is weakness, you know, and that women don't want to see men crying and women don't want to see men being anything other than, than, than men. Um but there's going to be a safe space for men called Chakna Fear, which is the man's house, to explore cacao and movement and breath work and meditation and talks and a bit of drumming and all those things, you know. And for me, it's very important to have that there, that, that you know, the masculine and the feminine. And then the beautiful thing about it is in the middle of those teepees is the bouncy castles and the face paints for the kids. You know, and it's, it's when the women heal and grow and support each other and when the men do the same. The children and the youth benefit, you know, benefit more than anyone. So it's, yeah, it's really, really looking forward to it. 
might bring a little cuddling session into the show. <laughs> yeah, listen, do you want to know what? It's, I mean, <laughs> touch is so important. I mean, that's... Yeah, massively. That, that, I mean, probably probably not utilised enough in the likes of somatic therapy, but again, in Ireland, we do have that huge block around any form of physical touch is, is sexual, mm-hmm. you know, or that it might bring out it might bring out the predator in somebody or it might invoke, you know, previous trauma of somebody from sexual abuse. But I think in, in a safe space by, by people with the right intentions, it can be massively mm-hmm. therapeutic and massively healing um there's a technique called the havening technique which is becoming quite popular in like trauma and form words where at times a therapist will touch the person but uh, you know it's even getting them to kind of self-regulate and self-soothe themselves through through self-touch mm, yeah it, it, it's there's a lot of like you see a lot of that stuff um on social media and stuff nowadays there's um because let alone do we sometimes fear someone else's touch or touching someone else and um but even to to touch ourselves in like a yeah. in a sensual way yeah you know it's when nobody else is around mm. it's it's in it's that it's that suppressed it's that there's that much shame around <clears throat> it that yeah. we fear to do it when we're by ourselves yeah. Um yeah. we still have the the armor on or the mask or the the shield up when we're when we're alone. Yeah. I got a very felt sense of that when I danced once. Mm. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I mo- I was moving my hips, which is something I've been doing for quite a while. So a lot of tension and stuff in the hips at times. And I can remember it was getting quite emotional and I was moving and I was uh I put my hands up in the air and moved inside I suppose what you would presume was like a very feminine kind of goddess like snake movement and the moment my hands were up my hands were down there was emotion there but the moment i put my hands up the vulnerability the Uh, tears that came up the emotion that came up and it didn't it didn't feel like the most normal cry it was so deep it was coming from such a deep place of what felt like such suppression and i couldn't hold it i couldn't keep doing it and my hands came down and um it's something i've kind of dabbled back into at times but i will it will happen when i'm ready to go back in there but yeah i could it gave me a very strong sense of um how suppressed we are in in or, okay sorry yeah. not we, how suppressed i have maybe been <coughs> like that that feeling like that suppression is not from my lifetime i feel it's mm. well, it's my lifetime is added into it now but it's from such a long line of trying yeah. for men trying to be a certain way um yeah. and it was um it was a beautiful experience too and a great yeah. realization of uh we, we as we as humans are creative beings you mm. know we, we are meant to be creative we're meant to be expressive but we as men have been conditioned to believe that any form of creativity or ex- or expressiveness is gay you know that that that's how you're brought up in a, in a catholic school in ireland though you don't you don't create anything you do you do what you're told and you you know i remember coming home at 12 years of age first year in school with with all a's and my mum was like oh brilliant son and I, m- my dad called me a geek you know he was like oh mate you know you need to be you need to get strong hands you need to go out and you know, be good with your hands never mind the grades 
and 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 so, so we we have been conditioned to believe that any form of expressiveness is wrong you know which is bizarre because you look at other cultures around the world where the men are, are phenomenal dancers and they're amazing at moving and they're very creative and and explorative and expressive and i remember i remember doing a, a men's retreat last year with mary and 12 12 big men showed up on the first night with a cacao and she says okay a lot of a lot of like a lot of resistance in the body so i want you to stand up and, and just start rubbing your shoulders and we started moving and, she, and then the music come on she's like now i want you to start moving like in a, a bit of ecstatic dance and yeah. 12 men were looking at each other going i'm not dancing in front of him and i'm not so somebody started swaying we're all like fucking 10 men you know swaying a bit and it took one person just to say oh fuck it and started dancing and the next minute all the barriers went down and we we're all moving and what i noticed in that moment was 12 so-called men just in the through movement, expressiveness, and creativity, went back to that inner child. Mm -hmm. They went back to twelve boys without the armor, without the shield, without the sword. It was it was beautiful to watch. That's mm -hmm. incredible. We 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 are um, going on a similar weekend this weekend now. With Mary. I know, I know. I was meant to go. I'm I'm <laughs> raging, but it's just it's one of those things. I have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. Go on, Carmen. I was just saying, hopefully we get to do some dancing as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's dancing, singing, um, expressing yourself in those ways. It's been massive, especially the singing aspect of things for me in the last number of months. Um, like when you really let go of, of what way you think things are supposed to be and just allow it to come out. Just allow it to come out, that's... And there's not a person. At, I don't think there's a person. The likes of, on it. Huh? If you look at the likes of like Celtic culture and heritage, mm. there was always the poetry tellers, the singers, mm. and it was all it was always men. But you know, but men are. But men were. It wasn't a thing to be ashamed of. It was something to be proud of. The storyteller, the poet, the singer. Mm. And now it's 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 crazy. The self pressure and expectation and that. But yeah, go with it and and let it out and. Because I think once once you do start moving and once you do start singing and once you do start getting back to the land, you unconsciously give permission to other men to do the same. Yeah. Which 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 is which is the ripple effect really. Like when and I think I think I think what works well for us three is three big three big guys, you know, three big masculine men. And when other men that are maybe coming to the, the beginning of their journey or if they're, they're in that dark place where they're questioning life and they see you with the, the tattooed neck or the, the see Cormac Tarn above over everyone else or, or me and they think, well, what's this he's doing? You know, he's not some early furry, you know, guy. It's, he's in nature and he's cooking over a fire and he's dancing and he's writing poetry and, okay, maybe it is normal. Maybe it is something I need to mm. tap into, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah dead right. It's, that's exactly like you even said with the 12 men. It was when one person decided to let go. It just yeah. it opened the door for everyone else. And that's, yeah, I think that's, um, that's true kind of leadership is for me anyway. It's, it's not given any sort of, it's, it's, it's leading by example. It's just, yeah, trying to be yourself more and more. And that's what it comes back to is more and more being yourself. And it's such a, such an uncomfortable place to to keep putting yourself into that mm -hmm. actually just 
being you and letting go of who you think others want you to be or who that some part of you thinks you want to be it's just but again that's just the journey that's the journey is is um stepping into that more and more and and i suppose looking back like sometimes i'm wishing i could maybe allow myself to do this or that a little bit freer without thinking this way and but then like Cormac used to always talk about the reverse gap and it's like looking back at where you've come from maybe in the last six months or the last year and and just having gratitude for that and realizing mm. it's it's small steps like you don't mm. like them huge big steps would be massively overwhelming and sometimes they're they're great too if it happens that way but to just slowly allow yourself to to keep pushing your comfort zone on on mm-hmm. a smaller basis and, and before you know it it's that consistency that consistently yeah. builds up over time and before you know it you're you're doing the kind of things that might have you wouldn't have dreamed of a year before yeah and that, that's the thing with growth I, th- I think growth is very important i think like growth is evolution you know we're, mm-hmm. we're meant to grow both in the micro and the macro you know as individuals and the species but with growth becomes like time for recovery. You know, you need to, yes, grow and evolve, but also integrate and rest and recover and recalibrate and, 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 and do all those things as well, which in general, we as men probably aren't, we're not maybe great at the recovery and integration and recalibration side of things. We're great at the push, 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 push. And females are maybe a bit better at the, you know, rest, recovery and, and recalibration. And I think, I think that's why it's really important that men and women continue to cross paths in this journey as well. You know, it's, it's, it's really important that we as men, can, I actually remember having a conversation with a guy, Peter Kelly, last year. And at that particular point, I was about to kind of re-market, re-brand natural resilience in that it was going to be only exclusively for men. You know, no female clients, all workshops, all classes, all everything was just, for men, and I, I was there in my heart, you know, it was like, oh, I, I want to help men and want to be involved in this work. And it was actually Peter had said, don't be doing that. You know, you need to continue to integrate the feminine and learn from the feminine and, and cross paths with and, and, you know, hold the mirror up to and receive what they're showing you. And, and so I think it's important that we continue to cross paths with the women that are doing the work as well, you know. Mm. And that, that's why Festival Manal was so important um, and very humbling for us to be asked as as males to to go and essentially hold space for for women uh, that was very very powerful yeah it was beautiful yeah it was a very very powerful experience that we can't yeah I was, just thinking, I was just thinking that as well because just before that that day i actually had a big release doing breathwork that morning like tears just from to be asked to go and facilitate for women after I suppose I could, I don't know if I was tapping into some, maybe some of the trauma that they would have felt from other men. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm part of that. So I just felt, um, it was a huge honor and, uh, to be there. And then I think, so it was healing for me, it healed some part of me, I think just being there and like in that role where women, where I, I was being able to hold, they were giving me their trust to hold the space, um, mm-hmm. You know, and not judging me as like I feel like maybe for years or maybe other women I felt I was judged by as like one of the the bad men or whatever. So it just healed something in me, um, mm. and then also I think for some of the women, I think they got 
Grey Healing in it too because they had to surrender to that masculine figure, which yeah. So yeah, it was which obviously if we didn't merge the two, the men and the women, that healing wouldn't happen. So I definitely think there is yeah. a spaces where we need to go in our own work and then spaces to come together. Yeah. And it's it is beautiful when it like that was a beautiful day and that was we all left to like with just buzzing with the energy and the connection. Um mm-hmm. so hopefully, yeah, just see more of that in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Hearts full. Yeah. I suppose Kieran comic I can't it's been that long since we did a podcast. I can't remember the question you usually ask <laughs> at the end. Yeah. So I usually ask, um, what is success? Uh, oh, yes. Success for me has changed significantly. I used to view success as um, like materialistic stuff. You know, f- at one point in my life, success would have been living comfortably, you know, above the breadline. That, that would have been a success. I actually wrote out like an acronym for what this new version of success means to me. So the S was a sense of direction, like Mm -hmm. to know my sense of direction. The U was understanding. And by that, I mean, you know, understanding the world around me and understanding the world within me. Uh, C was, was courage. The other C was clarity. E was having esteem and then self-acceptance and self-confidence. So that that's that's my new um, interpretation of what success is, and it's it's I suppose one eighty from from what a young man growing up thought it was at one point. Mm. That's a brilliant one, yeah. Yeah. Very clear. Um, well, thank you so much. Um, that was a beautiful conversation. Yeah, re- really, really. I'm just looking at the time. I've, I've probably went over a bit, but it's it just goes to the testament to you two lads and. It was. It's been an honour to kind of get to know you this past. I can't mm. believe it's only a year. It actually seems like years. Yeah, you know, yeah, it seems yeah, like yeah. Years, uh, and I know, I know. Sometimes it's like passing ships. You know, these are coming up to the centre, and um. But in in those moments where we have sat and and, and held hands and had the conversations and that, it's, it's been a true blessing. So thank you as always. Yeah, thank you, Kieran, and. Um, yeah, well, I'll actually be up. I'll be up in your centre in Lisbon on Thursday for a cacao yeah. breathwork ceremony. Um, again, beautiful space um, to be able to do this kind of work with people. And, and um, yeah, thanks again. And we had kind of slipped off doing the podcast and it was uh, a comic text me last week saying, come on, let's get back <laughs> get on this. Out. Yeah, yeah. So, so I messaged and was delighted that you said you could do it. So, um, yeah. mm, so thank you very much and yeah we will put all your details in the bio if anybody feels like um they want to reach out um or unless you want to say anything on that for people that may want to reach out to you or no i think um even the i'm getting the website developed at the minute but the, mm. the best way is probably through instagram which is natural resilience and the email address is all is linked to the the instagram account yeah but yeah, any anyone you know, any anyone that that wants to reach out even for a chat or to ask a question or anything like that, please do. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Cheers, Leon. See you later. <laughs>